Hello, everybody. Just a very quick one about Instagram. If you're on it, Meta, the parent company, is reducing the number of political posts visible to users on their feed. This is a real thing, not a hoax. So go to your Instagram profile, tap the three horizontal lines in the top right corner to open the settings tab, scroll down to what you see, click on content preferences, open political content, and turn on don't limit political content. That's an option. Otherwise, you won't see almost anything we post because we are deemed political. Please do that now or you won't even see the posts about our shows, our fun things. So if you want to see Guilty Feminist content and know when we're coming to a place near you, releasing a new podcast, do it now. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I am a feminist. But I was in a cab recently that was driving recklessly and a woman drove past us on a bike and slammed her fist against the car window and screamed at the driver. And I said, I'm so sorry that woman shouted at you. I'm a feminist, but I fear that if I was having dinner with Tina Fey, Amy Schumer and Ellen DeGeneres and John Hamm texted me, what are you doing? I would leave immediately. (laughs) an offer. Just John Hamm. Oh, I gotta go. <laughs> I'm a feminist, but whenever I carry an umbrella, I feel like I'm taking up too much space. So I never carry umbrellas. Really? Yeah. You feel you're taking up too much space yeah. with an umbrella? Yeah, because it's big. Do you know, in Britain, people are very self-deprecating, but that doesn't stop them with the umbrellas. <laughs> because it's just a practicality issue here. I'm going to buy you a really big umbrella and I'm going to train you to walk down Oxford Street with a big golf umbrella and just everyone will get out of your way. Well, if I hold it in front of me, I can swoop people out of the way. Yeah. I'm a feminist, but this week I shared three separate outraged articles on the pay gap between men and women on Facebook. And then when a comedy promoter said, what's your fee for this gig? I said, whatever you think's fair. (laughs) I'm a feminist, but if I had a pound for every time I laughed at a man's unfunny joke, I would probably finally make 26% more than him. I'm a feminist, but I considered doing something to undermine my belief in the equality of the sexes today, so I would have an extra bit for this segment. From the Waterside Arts Centre in Manchester, it's 1880 Shepherd Sense, the Guilty Feminist with Sophie Hagen and Deborah Francis White, and tonight's special guest, Sarah Billigan, talking about what 
This is The Guilty Feminist, the podcast in which we explore our noble goals as 21st century feminists and a hypocrisy. Oh, I did the hypocrisy ah, your way. It's, it's D- like hip, sometimes if you have a Danish accent, hypocrisy is a hard word to Hi, say. Yeah. And I now have I've caught Danish <laughs> from Sophie like it's a communicable disease. This is The Guilty Feminist, the podcast in which we explore our noble goals as feminists and our hypocrisies and insecurities that undermine them. Deborah, what was your challenge? This is worth our time. This is worth. This, this is a challenge is worth. It's a really big one. Um, my challenge was to, uh, you know, make a phone call and state my worth and try and uh, negotiate some kind of deal. Um, but I found actually something happened to me during the week that was actually more interesting on, in terms of worth. What happened was I was about to do a show and I had contacted the person that I'd previously done the show with before. And I said, hey, I want to do the show again. And he said, I don't really want to produce it because of X, Y and Z. And I said, "Okay, you sure? And he said, I'm sure. And then I got a deal with a space and I contacted him and said, just to let you know, I've got this deal with this space. And he said, no, I'm not interested. So then I messaged him another couple of times just to let him know that it was going on. And I invited him to come. And he said, yes, I would really like to come. And then the day before the show, I texted him just to say, hey, the show is sold out. It was a really big venue. So just checking, do you want to use your ticket? And he phoned me furious and said, basically said, you didn't tell me it was going to be a success. (laughs) And I went, what? And he said, you didn't explain it was going to be in this big venue. You didn't explain that this was the deal. And I said, no, no, but I did a couple of times. And I said, and then I messaged you further and you never got back to me. And he said, well, I was really busy, but you didn't explain it properly. If I'd known basically that it was going to be a success, if I'd known it was going to be good, I would have come in on it. And I said, well, I don't really know what to say. And I think the old me would have gone, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. No, you're right. But I just stayed really calm. And I said, "Okay, do you want me to give you some of the box office? And he went, well, no, obviously not, because I haven't produced it. And I said, "Okay, so you're angry, what's your solution? And he went, oh, well, uh, I don't know. And I said, well, how about we work together again on something else? And he went, oh, okay. And he said, but I'm still really annoyed. And he hung up. And I knew that I was totally not in the wrong. But I also knew it was going to ruin the show for me because now I was going over and over and over in my head how unfair it was and I was having that conversation. Do you, know, do you ever have that conversation in your head where you play it out and they agree with you that you're right? <laughs> and I just thought, this is now ruining my success. And I thought, this is nothing to do with me. This is him being upset. So what I did is I did a visualization exercise for myself. I closed my eyes and I shrunk him down to a very, very, very tiny, tiny little version of himself. So he was like a little leprechaun. And I made his voice very high and squeaky. And then I pictured myself as Bodicea on a chariot. And the chariot of this event was going forward and it was very successful. And now the chariot was in a blaze of glory. He wanted to get on the chariot. He realized he'd made a mistake. So I imagined him very, very small running behind and trying to jump onto the chariot. And I couldn't slow it down now. I I would have, but I couldn't. And he was jumping and jumping and jumping and trying to get on the chariot and saying, you didn't tell me it was going to be a success. You didn't tell me. You didn't explain it properly. Why didn't you tell me? I I was involved in this show. This This is not fair. And I just kept laughing because I was imagining him trying to leap on the chariot and falling down and getting so angry and cross and like his knees were all bruised. And I felt sad for him. But at the same time, he looked ridiculous to me. And every time it came into my head, I would just see that and I would laugh. And then I was able to enjoy the show and I was able to enjoy my own worth. That was my challenge.
such a good exercise. I'm going to do that with all of my ex-boyfriends. <laughs> come back, come back. I'm like, no. <laughs> As if that's what they're saying. <laughs> You start to know what you're worth when you, you start to say what you don't want to do. Like, for example, I'm a massive fag hag. Um, I don't, I'm not comfortable with that word, hag. Um, I, mean, I mean, let's be clear. Gay men are not allowing the F word now unless it rhymes with the worst word for us. I'm looking for a new expression. I'm playing around with bender befriender. Um, my gay friends always say, come to Pride, come to Pride with us, Deb, come to Pride. And I don't want to go to Pride. As much as I love LGB and T, I do not want to go to gay Pride. I don't want to go to Pride for the same reason I don't like any large groups of homogenised people. I do not like music festivals. I do not want to go to your conference. I don't care whether you're environmentalists. I don't care whether you are feminists. I don't care whether you are Doctors Without Borders. I do not like large groups of the same sort of people because birds of a feather are cunts. <laughs> it's true. You get the same sort of people and they all exacerbate each other's worst qualities. So I now know that. I don't want to be at your music festival. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. My gay friends are like, oh, why don't, why don't you come on a cruise with us? Come on a gay cruise with us. You could do the comedy. As far as I'm concerned, a gay cruise is just pride with a punishment for leaving is drowning. <laughs> I'm interested. But I do, I do understand that it's easier to be straight. We put worth on different groups in society, and the highest worth that we've got in our society is straight white men. They get the highest possible worth. They get first dibs on things. They get first opportunity. They get paid more to do stuff. There's an assumption they'll be good at everything, even though patently they're not. Look at the world. But it's true. It's, it's true. And it's easier to be a man. If you don't think it's easier to be a man, you're a man. It's easier to be straight. Uh, it's easier to be white. I see my friends who are not white have to go through all sorts of bullshit I don't have to do. I just take stuff for granted. It's easier to be male. It's easier to be straight. It's easier to be white. It's easier to be thin. To be fair, if it was as much trouble to be white as it is to be thin, I probably wouldn't bother. I'd let myself go Asian. I mean, you, sir, if you had to work for your privilege... How long before you'd be a black lesbian? About two hours. About two hours, so yes. About two hours before you'd be a black Everything, every advantage you've got, you've been born with it, yeah? And I, I started thinking about this, and I, I thought, it's like when I first got to London, I was told Londoners were very aggressive drivers, and I was going to have to be really, really assertive if I was going to count out into traffic. And I was really nervous about this because I got a job as a nanny and I had to drive three kids around. And actually, London drivers were very polite and they did let you in. It's just a stereotype about London. And I drove around happily for six months. And then one day, I drove my boyfriend's car and I tried to cut out into traffic and I couldn't. And I tried to cut out again and I couldn't. And I tried to get out again and a third time. And I ended up getting back down a cul-de-sac. And I turned to my boyfriend and said, what, what's going on? What's going on? And he looked at me and he said, you can't drive this car the way you drive the Land Rover, you know. I said, what? He said, yeah, like a tank down the middle of the road. I said... I don't drive the Land Rover like a tank down the middle of the road. He said, yeah, you drive the Land Rover like a tank down the middle of the road and everyone gets out of your way. And I went, oh, my God. I thought everyone else was polite. Turns out I'm an asshole. 
And that's exactly the same for tall, white, posh boys. They don't know they're an asshole. They think you're polite. Thank you very much. Sophie, what was your challenge? Well, we both had that thing of we couldn't really say a specific thing. or like We, we knew it was something to do with claiming our worth, like realizing we're worth probably more than what we imagine. Uh, and as I was thinking about what I was going to do, I got a phone call from a woman who's a researcher. Is that what you would call it? She works in a, in a talk show that I was meant to do in Denmark. Now, as I've mentioned before on the podcast, feminism in Denmark is not really a, a thing. Neither is body positivity or uh, all those. Like, politi- political correctness is basically not a thing in Denmark. I was meant to do this talk show, and usually when I'm on a talk show in Denmark, it's always like, oh, so you're fat, you like yourself, what wonder. Uh, or you're a feminist, but why? Anyway, so this interview, usually I'm fine with talking about these things, feminism and body positivity, because I think it's important to, to talk about them. But this interviewer is known for being like really hardcore, like he will find facts, he will find charts, he will attack you, interrupt you, uh, be very, very, very harsh. And I'm not in a position where I feel like I can defend my cause. And I, I was afraid that it would backfire and I wouldn't be able to defend it properly. So when this woman called me, I knew that I had to tell her I'm not going to talk about feminism, which is really hard for me to ask for because I'm not famous in Denmark and I, you know, doing one of the biggest talk shows, it's a big deal for my career, but still, uh, it's also a big deal that I shouldn't be attacked. So when she called me, she was good at her job. Like, she was a woman who knew about the worth thing. Like, we should have had her on the show (laughs) because she was good and she immediately, I started by saying, oh, hello, Uh, I'd like to not be attacked and I'd like to just talk about me as an artist and I said, I believe me as a person that I'm worth enough that my story is good enough for your TV show. I don't have to be the feminist or the fat one. And she said, she was so clever. She went, Sophie, I'm just, I just want to have a chat with you. And I knew she was trying to make me feel horrible. So we had a long chat. And at the end I said, okay, we've chatted about all these things. Just use, no, I still don't want to talk about these topics. And, uh, and I said, so let's talk before the show and let's agree on what we're going to talk about. Then the day before the show, I still hadn't heard from her. So I texted her and said, what are we going to talk about? She said, oh, yeah, uh, feminism and uh, body positivity. And I texted her back and said, no, no, we're not. And then she tried to call me a million times. I didn't pick up. And the next day, she finally, I called her and I said, what is it? And she said, oh, well, we've prepared this interview and I've spent a lot of time on pre-. And I said, I'm not going to talk about that. And I said, if, if this is a problem, I don't have to do the show. And she went, oh, it's too late to cancel now. And I said, well, you should have called me earlier. And all this felt weird. It felt really harsh because I felt ungrateful. I felt like I I was putting her through lots of stuff. And I I told one of my male friends who said, it's her job. I was like, oh, that's the kind of attitude I should have had. (laughs) And I ended up going to the show. And she, at one point she said, I have never been censored like this before. (laughs) Oh, oh, wow. You've never had anyone say fuck off. And here's the thing. So I went on the show and we talked about things that I wanted to talk about. And it was really fun and great. I got tweets afterwards saying this is the first time he hasn't interrupted a guest. Uh, yeah, it was, it's, it's crazy. It went well. And here's the thing that made it so much more fun. I was watching the intro they'd done, which is like, here's Sophie doing stand-up. Here's Sophie doing this. And they'd just taken a bunch of pictures from like my social media and my Twitter and my press photos. And a photo popped up. Now, in the very first episode of uh, The Guilty Feminist. The topic was nudity. And we had a challenge for me that I didn't do. The thing was I had to take a picture of my, me with like a stum- my stomach uh, bare, 
bare stomach and I was to post that on social media and I, I was too scared to do it so I didn't do it and we didn't tell you guys but I did a few weeks ago because I felt finally I felt like I could actually do it and I put it on my Instagram and I think I put it on Facebook as well my private profile and it was out there and it was fine I didn't die and nothing bad happened <laughs> they had chosen that photo in the presentation for me in the biggest talk show in Denmark. <laughs> and I was standing backstage just going, wow. <laughs> I think I not only nailed that challenge now, <laughs> like, this is full blown. It's a hot photo, can I just say, because it's Sophie just like being happy and comfortable with her sexy self. I'm, and I'm happy and comfortable on my Instagram. <laughs> In a way, there's probably more people on Instagram than television now. That's what you have to think. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Miss Sophie Hagen. Do you know the thing about people rating you? I think it's like a thing. I'm, I mean, I don't want to generalize, but men do this. All, me, all men use numbers to rate women. No, some of them, the, the, the pricks. This is what happens, because it gets in my head that whole, you can rate a woman from, from one to ten. Uh, and it also, oh, some people say it depends on what country you're in. Someone said to me, oh, in England, you must be an eight. <laughs> Which means I'm less than that in Denmark. <laughs> Go fuck yourself. <laughs> this happened, I was out with my friend Amy, and the thing about Amy is, Amy, she's beautiful. Like, Amy, she's so, she has like red hair, but in a good way. <laughs> No, you can't be offended because I didn't say what the wrong way was. We know, we know. <laughs> she's gorgeous, Amy's gorgeous. We're walking down the street and this man comes up to us and he just stops in front of us. And he looks at me, then he looks at Amy, then he looks back at me and then he goes, excuse me, I'm interested in your friend. <laughs> like I'm her pimp. <laughs> like I'm meant to be like, ooh, well, you could, if you have her back by 10, uh, I take 10%. I don't know how much it works, it's been a while, but... And then uh, I didn't know what to say. Neither of us knew ex like, how to react to this. Uh, and then he keeps going and he asks Amy and he goes, would you like to go out for a drink with me? Uh, it, did I do the accent right? Would you like to go out for a cotte with the queen? Is that, no? And he, I'm learning. I'm still learning. He says, would you like to go out for a drink with me? And then he looks at me and he goes, no offense. Right, letting me know that he's not interested. Like, that's so presumptuous. I was like, oh, I've just been rejected without being at all involved in this decision. So Amy, she has this uh, speech impediment called uh, being nice. <laughs> she caught it from years and years of having been a woman. And so she, said, she tried to make like a joke. She said, oh, um, <laughs> uh, well, uh, we're a package deal. <laughs> oh. <laughs> just dragging me back into it so now he has to deal with me again and he doesn't want to do that already he's made that very clear uh, so he looks at me and he looks at Amy he looks back at me and he looks at Amy and then he goes nah, sorry and he walks away rejecting a threesome <laughs> who does that? that's not okay because <laughs> then I did the maths all the numbers came into my head and I realized that even if he thought that Amy was a one. I would have to be a minus 11 for this to be of no worth to him. And that's the worst night of my life. Like you rejected me twice and now you've made me do maths. <laughs> the way they do it, they're particularly not involving personality in this. Which I think is because the kind of people who do rate women in numbers don't have any. 
So they would have, you, you would never hear a conversation between two men where one of them was like, oh, I saw this girl this weekend. She was, she was a 10. Like, oh yeah, did you just bang her? <laughs> That's how they talk, isn't it? Did you bang her with your, your penis stick? <laughs> a super long penis stick? And he'd go, oh, I mean, I wanted to, but I mean, I'm like a three personality-wise. She deserves better. Thank you very much. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. <laughs> Would you like to meet our wonderful guest? Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, Sarah Millican! Um, Hello. So what, when we said worth to you, what did you, like what's your, what are your general thoughts about general worth? I couldn't quite work out how I felt about it to start with. I think it's, an, it's sort of a work in progress for me. I sort of think better of myself than I used to. And I think it's because now I allow myself to take my worth from me rather than from others. A sort of a good example of this, I suppose, is something I only saw the other day. I read a review quite recently of something that's quite old. I wasn't looking for it. I, don't, I try not to see these things. But um, when I did uh, Who Do You Think You Are, you know, the sort of ancestry programme, at the beginning, for the titles, you have to do this thing where they make you turn and smile at the same time. Oh. <laughs> and I can't. <laughs> but until then, I did not know that, because, like, nobody'd asked me, because why would it come up? Um, and my, I was with my friend Tom, and he said, oh, remember those titles? I laughed out loud when I saw yours. <laughs> and because you're, it's all of the people in that series are in ev- on every episode of the titles, so we decided to try and find them on the internet, and they are available on YouTube. And we found them, and it was hilarious, because all the people who were actors just nailed it. Because right. that, that's just a normal day for them, turning and smiling. <laughs> So we watched it, and all the people who weren't actors, like people like John Simpson and me, were just shit at it. And it was hilarious. I urge you all to Google it when I you get in. Let's see if I can do it now. Hold on. <laughs> see, I, I had to it do it get in, a laugh, in it? public, like it was out and about. And oh, I don't, that's the yeah. Worst. And no. by the end, by the time I'd nailed it, as in uh, done one that was acceptable to the producers, <laughs> there was a crowd. Oh. I'm going to do it now. This is useless to the podcast listeners, but this is what I did. <laughs> Don't clap it, it's awful. So while I was looking for this, I sort of fell across a review. My friend Tom said, Don't read it. And I was like, No, it's ages ago. And also, they can't really say, like, if you do a stand up show, they can say it was shit. But I didn't think they could, like, say, like, like you your ancestors your are shit. Yeah. <laughs> 
Exactly. So I, I was going to read a bit, if you don't mind. Mm. Um, if you don't know who do you think you are, it's a programme where they sort of trace back through your family history and you often go to the places that ended up in uh, Canada, sort of waist deep in snow. So one of my ancestors worked in the fur trade and also one was one of the very first divers. So that was my two stories. So this is just a little bit of the review. Sarah Millican has made audiences laugh with a piping Geordie voice and a dumpy figure. <laughs> Seemingly designed to model printed floral dresses and wellies, but she soon shows that she is not as daft as she looks. Oh, please. Now, at the moment, are you aware of what this is reviewing? <laughs> this is reviewing my physical appearance. This is not reviewing my ancestors. No mention of a diver there or the fur trade. <laughs> Uh, so then it says, and who do you think you are, BBC One? Discovering that her ancestor, James Holt, a marine diver, had, by 1851, aged 34, fathered five children, she exclaimed, I'm 37 and I've just got a cat. That's fair enough. That is factually accurate for the time. <laughs> I've since got another cat and a dog, but anyway. <laughs> Perhaps it was because her professional success, as we were told, followed on the heels of a divorce after seven years of marriage that she was so moved to discover her ancestor struggled to leave descendants. No. But, I mean, why watch the rest of the programme when you could just assume things? Um, so one minute she peered comically out from a diving suit of the kind Holt would have worn and the next minute wept as she read of his making a gift to seven children left orphans by a shipwreck. He was an all-round good man, she declared, with more loyalty than evidence. It's quite harsh, isn't it? But my favourite bit is the bit at the end. The guy that was in Canada... So this is the story of him. But Malcolm, lost one day in the freezing waste, suffered frostbite so that both his feet had to be amputated at the trading station. I expected that to be his end, but amazingly he returned to Orkney, married and fathered five children of his own. I was unprepared for how protective I'd feel of my ancestors, Millican concluded. Perhaps aware of her big new house with only the cat waiting for her return. <laughs> what the actual fuck? program to find out you know and this was the it was a big thing for me because my parents had said to me a few years ago if you ever get asked to go on who do you think you are we would love it if you said yes so what that review has done is said that I'm dumpy that I wear flowery dresses and wellies <laughs> so there's a dig in the middle about only having a cat instead of children because obviously children is the be all and end all and then the bit at the end about how I'm only going home to my big house as well. They've got to make a point of that because uh, they have to film in the house and that I'll only have a cat there. So I am worthless unless I am married with children. That is the implication that I think. Would you mm -hmm. agree? Yeah. yeah. OK. From the same newspaper. I couldn't get the same journalist, but I, I couldn't, he hadn't done anything else uh, of any of those other in the series. So I found one that was a man. Uh, his, who do you think you are? And it was Paul Hollywood. So I read his, and I'm not going to read it all, but at various points they describe him. It made for an absorbing and affecting hour of television. That's one note. They also call him a silver fox. And it made me question, what is the female equivalent of a silver fox? Meanwhile, this is the last paragraph. Meanwhile, Hollywood, so exacting in the bake-off marquee and often the butt of co-presenter Sue Perkins' jokes, came across beautifully. 
He was palpably proud of his forebears and touched by his grandfather's love letters home to his sweetheart, yet never wallowed in sentimentality, turning away from cameras when he had something in his eye, and retaining his dryly self-deprecating sense of humour throughout, good bloke, good bake. Now, this is not a dig at Paul Hollywood, I adore the man, but... It never mentions that he is a little bit overweight. He is a little, you know, you could describe him as being a bit overweight. Never mentions that. Never mentions what he's wearing. Never mentions what his family situation is like now, whether he has a wife, whether he has kids. doesn't mention any of that. It's, it's the starting place is, uh, they don't say, oh, Paul, he's probably going home for a pot noodle and a wank, basically, do they? <laughs> they don't. They don't. Sad, sad, sadly, and that's why he's a bit he's a bit fighty on Bake Off. Probably, probably a bit fighty on Bake Off. Why? Uh, hates himself, and he would he would looking like that. That's the equivalent, isn't it? The fact that you're on the television as a comedian with a career, and they're interested enough in you to take you through your ancestors, and they think the viewers will be interested enough, is not enough. It's what's your marital status? Are there going to be children in your immediate future? That's how it sits to me. It's so bold. They're not trying to hide how they feel. Yeah. They're not even trying to disguise their misogyny. They are literally just saying, look at the fucking state of her. (laughs) No, but that's, no, don't be sad. It's, no, no, you're so, look at you, (laughs) so sad. It doesn't make me sad, and it should make me sad if it makes anybody sad, and it doesn't. I just see people in the cold light of day. Because that's why you're, in that whole world, your worth is your look. And, oh, she doesn't live up to the beauty standards. In that case, you know, who cares about the rest of it? And furthermore, she doesn't live up to the domestic standards. So I think what he's saying is you can either be a hot model or you can be a mum. And we would accept you being you, Sarah Millican, if you were going home to a big house with 2.4 children and a cat and ideally a, a school run, then that would be okay. But you've not really pleased us in either way. We've, we've seen you as neither Madonna nor whore. It just, it's so old-fashioned. Yeah, it's very archaic. It's basically, it's basically judging you from a how are you of use to me as a man point of view. Like if you can't be the mother of me or the mother of my children and you can't sleep with me, then what, why, why what are you? What is the use worth? of you? Yeah, why yeah. are you? I heard um, a comedian tweeted, it was Wimbledon a couple of years ago, the only way you could get it up to have sex with Sue Barker is if you were looking at a picture of her when she was young at a speakeasy. Basically saying she's so old. The point of that was so old, so you couldn't possibly get aroused by her. So I wrote to that comedian, I tweeted him and said, yes, it is awful when a female expert over 40 who you are not sexually aroused by appears on your television. Because, <laughs> and then I said another follow-up tweet because he didn't respond. And I thought he hasn't seen it, you know. And uh, so I spent another one um, that said, it's almost as if there are so many images of men that I wouldn't want to sleep with, it's not even worth talking about. But I just looked at that and it made me really sad because I went, Sue Barker won, and it's sort of forgotten because she's not a man, but she won a Grand Slam. She won the French Open. And if a man had won a Grand Slam since Fred Perry up until Andy Murray, we would certainly hear about that man all the time. Also, and- she, she hosts a panel show. Yeah. How many women host panel shows? Yeah, n- none. Except, oh, Sandy Toxfig yeah. now is going to do QI. So, yeah. 
Yes, she hosts yeah. a panel show about sport, absolutely. But it really it really struck me that that woman has gone out of her way to achieve every single thing she could have mm. achieved. She's won a Grand Slam and then she's had this incredible career in broadcasting and she's brilliant. She's so charming when she comes out with the trophy and she talks to the people and she's a brilliant interviewer. And it still isn't enough. And that is, you're too old to be on the telly now, Sue Barker. That's what that comment means. And I'm sure he was making a joke. I'm sure he doesn't really care or mean that or whatever. But it made me go, there's a cutoff to your worth as a woman is the perception. Now, there Mm. isn't. And we've got to change that. And I think that's my point in reading that out is that I cannot take my worth from anything else but me. Because if I take my worth from a newspaper, that is my worth. And that is horrific. It's easy to let it happen, though. When I'm at the Edinburgh Festival, you get reviewed virtually every day by somebody. And I've learnt not to read the reviews now. I even don't read the good ones now because I think if I believe the good ones, I have to believe the bad ones. And I'm letting somebody else alter my worth that day because someone says you're nominated for something. Not not in my case, but... (laughs) I'm, that's happened to both of them. You've, have you both won things in Edinburgh? Yeah, we won the same award. Yeah, we won you both best you car at the Edinburgh Festival. Yeah, well, fuck you both. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they're so yeah. supportive. Yeah. Do you yeah. know? I feel like they're both worth more than me as newcomer but, comedians. But do I know if you <laughs> with us? We weren't meant to say who it was. <laughs> Whoops. Oh, no. Oh, no. So I, I do read them, but I, what I do is... You know how if you read a review and you, you take out a, a good quote, because obviously we need to use quotes and it's quite useful to have them for the next tour or for the next poster or whatever. I also, in a hilarious way, pick out a terrible quote just for my own amusement. So I once read a review that wasn't particularly nice and I was, it was in the interval uh, of a show at the Hammersmith Apollo and I read the review and it wasn't particularly nice and I decided to sort of boost myself was to take a quote from that that I thought I could use that would be quite funny and in the review the journalist had said that he'd come with his wife irrelevant and that they'd chatted about me beforehand again irrelevant and that they'd said that they thought I was spreading myself too thin and I thought I could use the the quote too thin what I've learned I read all my reviews and I've just because what I learned as a a child my mom my mom's a weird one she's amazing but if I ever did a drawing she would go well I can tell that you've spent this and this much time on it it doesn't look like a house Uh, (laughs) you've not no but like in a very like just completely neutral way which I mean some would say may have damaged my self-esteem but also, when I read reviews, uh, my agent was very surprised by this because he was really scared that I was going to accidentally read them. And I was like, I Google my name every day. <laughs> uh, someone said she ruins, she ruins that bit with a punchline. I was like, <laughs> well, I mean, that's sort of the point. <laughs> like, once I got, uh, it's not groundbreaking comedy. I was like, hmm, no, it's not. Oh, it's not. On your Twitter handle, so it says Sophie Hagen not groundbreaking comedy, <laughs> Chortle. Yeah. You have that quote. It's hilarious. Under your... Because that, that says it so well. It is. That must kill the reviewer in a way, though. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> that must annoy him. You're not groundbreaking comedy. 
the thing about reviewers is their whole job is to criticize. I did a show about finding my biological mother and I evolved the show over a period of two years. And then I took it to Edinburgh and I didn't want to take it to Edinburgh. I shouldn't have taken it to Edinburgh because it was too personal. And so you get these very thoughtless reviewers who've seen five shows that day. One of them said the ending was too happy. And I was like, it's my <laughs> life, man. Like, well, that's right, I was so... Do, I do personal oh. stuff as well. And it's it, when somebody says, when somebody gives you a personal, like your life... I'll, re- like I'll review three stars, three stars because because you because sorry spoiler but I get on with my biological mother. I mean sorry sorry I'm not weeping in a corner self harming for your five star fucking pleasure. I got over that review. But I think I think to come back to what we're talking about that Thank I you. thank you Sarah. You're welcome. For doing a weekend. It feels germane to me, it's, Nadia. It's no absolutely. It's um. It's taken me a good long time and it is still a work in progress and my self-esteem has massive wobbles. But largely, I think I'm a good person. I think I'm good at my job. And what I do is I write material for my audience. And my audience come in and we do tryouts. You try out new material gigs and that's what we do. And the audience either laugh or don't laugh and I take it from them because they are the important ones. If I think something's hilarious and you guys didn't laugh... I'm not technically supposed to use that. (laughs) And even if it kills me, I will not use that because I need the laughs. So ultimately, what I've learned from years of sort of doing this as a living, but also just being a person, is that I just have to trust myself a bit more. And I don't rely on what other people think of me. I like to be liked. Of course, we all do. But ultimately, my self-worth has to come from me. Questions from the audience. I see a hand. Hi. Um, I just wanted to say what Sarah was saying about um, measuring your own self-worth from inside and that is a work in progress. I totally relate to that. For you and that journey, like, what advice would you have for other women who may be on that journey and things that you can sort of say to yourself and, and maybe mantras or visualisations or, you know, anything like that that would help when you have to retrain yourself and go, no, I'm not going to measure my worth by what somebody thinks of me or my rating or... I think a lot of it comes from living like I'm 40 and I don't know if I would even listen to somebody if they gave me this advice when I was 20. Um, One of the things I did, one of my old uh, school friends is a teacher now and she said, will you come and talk at the school? And this is a few years ago, so I wasn't... I was a working comic, but I hadn't done much telly, so I don't think they would have sort of known who I was. And she said, oh, my friend Sarah is a comedian. So I went out to talk to them. And one of the... And it was all 14-year-old girls. And I thought, it feels like a lot of responsibility. First of all, I told them that they didn't have to go to university if they didn't want to, and all the teachers nearly shat themselves. <laughs> because I didn't, go, I didn't go to university. Um, but the other thing I told them was that to say, kind of check themselves every now and again. So check, am I happy? Am I happy in this job? Am I happy with this person? Am I happy in this town? Uh, am I happy with these friends? And every now and again, just check yourself. And if any of those things are a no, change it. And I think that's the easiest way that I found is if I'm, I've had loads of jobs. I always went from job to job. And if I decided I was unhappy, I started looking, I got another job. I think the job market is very different now. So I think it's harder for people. But I think the same in relationships. I mean, I didn't go from relationship to, always make sure you've got one lined up, girls. Uh, No. (laughs) But I think just to make sure that you check if you're happy or not. And if you're not, you can nip it in the bud earlier than sort of letting it run on. So essentially check yourself before you wreck yourself. Oh. Yeah, sort good. of. Good. She's made that rhyme. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Thank you. Catchphrase. Thanks. Any other questions? I've got one right at the back, I think. Well, it's nice to know that you're 40, Sarah, 
I'm 60, 66 this year. Awesome. And the, th and the things that you were talking about, about having your own self-worth, you're, you're in a fortunate position through my life, and I was one of the early feminists, and I have seen lots and lots of women go through all the things that, that you've gone through and not had the advantages of having their self-worth proved in other ways. And now, at my age, I have found out what I am and what my worth is, but it's taken 40 years to do that. And I would just like to say to everybody else that's here tonight, don't let it be 40 years. Let it be at 40 that you know what you're worth, because I think it's, it's the only way we'll change everything. I want to live another 40 years to enjoy what I know about me now. I hope you do. That's, that's a yeah. lovely comment. I feel a bit teary, though. I think we all feel like that. I feel, I think, because even I, when I started feeling that a few years ago, and at that point I thought, Fuck, I'm 25 now and I should have felt this from the, the age of 14. And I think there are people who realize that at the age of 15 and they feel I should have known this my whole life. And I think something like what you just said was was powerful. And if, if we say that to all the, the ones that are younger who haven't reached that yet, I think think we might be able like those the, the people you spoke to at the school I mean I think that's how we can we can do something I mean it's incredibly powerful what you said and what's your name Jean. Jean thanks Jean I think we can all take something away from what you said but to me I'm just really pleased for you that you you've got it now because some people might might never find it well, like I hear that and I think, oh my God, I'm such a work in progress. I feel like, oh, I'm, I'm really, I've really broken through like all the time. And then I start, then I question myself or I go, I got that wrong or that wasn't quite as good. Or like even tonight when I was doing stand up, I thought, why didn't you end when it went well? Why did you keep going? Like, like. Because it, because it can be edited. That's why. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> you'd like to plug Sarah? Uh, I am on tour until the end of September uh, that's all on my website and also I the, I have a magazine called standardissuemagazine.com that is a no bullshit women's magazine <laughs> Deborah? Um, I would like to plug my tour Deborah Francis White rolls the dice I'm coming to the Lowry in Manchester and I'm going to all sorts of other places around the United Kingdom check deborahfrancis-white.com and also I write for Standard Issue magazine and some of the best things I've written I think are on there so go and find them Deborah Francis White Sometimes I write for Standard Issue magazine Standard Issue Dot com. Uh, we all write for them. Uh, um, it's a good magazine, and uh, I'll be probably at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. Uh, to come to that, please. We'll yeah. be all over the the world. Actually, we'll be in Melbourne. We'll be in Denmark. We'll be at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. We'll be uh, all around London. Uh, we'll going all sorts of places. So please uh, join our mailing list, which can be found on guiltyfeminist.com, and come to the live episodes. Uh, this one had cake, so <laughs> so that's a reason. Uh, also, if you like the, <laughs> the the Guilty Feminist, please go to our Facebook group, which I know a lot of you did in the break. Thank you. Uh, it's uh, the Guilty Feminist podcast on Facebook. We are at GuiltyFemPod on Twitter. We are at the Guilty Feminist on Instagram. We're all over the place. And we're at 
guiltyfeminist.com if you want to listen to more of the episodes. We're also on uh, iTunes where if you want to, uh, you have to go on iTunes and give us a five-star rating. No, you don't Deborah, have to give a five-star rating. You can give whatever rating you think the show deserves. If you don't want to give it a five-star rating, just shut up. <laughs> don't go there. Maybe don't go just there. Just don't say anything. Just, uh, just tell people you were listening to Serial. <laughs> you have been listening to The Guilty Feminist with me, Sarah Nick, Deborah our special guest, Sarah Milliken. The recording engineer was Chris Sharp. The producer was Thompson and the spontaneity Sharp. Thanks to Louise Garrett-Rowan and everyone at Waterside and for all of you for listening. For more information about this and other episodes, visit guiltyfeminist.com. Let's just do that one more time. Yeah. <laughs> I said all sorts of things wrong. <laughs> right. I, I will nail this this time. Sorry, we will all get to go home. <laughs> Is there any cake left? Sorry, no one. Cool. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.